I don't know why my voice is gone. Uh, Probably have done some cheering lately, I guess, is what I'm going to figure. But today we are in Acts chapter 3, and so if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn there. Um, We've had the text read to us, and so what I want to do is spend our time just going back and to recognize what this text says to us. What this text teaches us about how the early church understood who Jesus Christ is and their mission, not just for him, but by him and ultimately through him. That finally the disciples, after preaching the good news of who Jesus Christ is, the Holy Spirit comes on them. They preach the good news, they baptize 3,000, and then you would think, And Paul preached last week about how the community came together and they were really connecting. They were living life together. And then what? Like, what do we do after that? So just a few weeks ago, right before, I still hadn't packed. Drives my wife crazy. But I was living for Japan the next morning. I still hadn't packed. But that's okay because we had a baptismal event here at the church. How many of you came to that? Yeah, I had a baptismal event. And it was so exciting. And like... All these people were united, using Paul's language, were united with Christ in his death, raised to walk a new life. They publicly confessed who Jesus Christ was as their Lord, and it was an incredible time together. And after you're done baptizing that many people, you just have to kind of wonder, okay, now what? And the answer is, I guess just more of this. Is this one of those um, wash, rinse, repeat moments? A few weeks before that, we had a special single moms event where we uh, had an opportunity. We invited a lot of moms to come with their kids and we ministered to them and we cared for them. And and then we tried to make sure that we could make connections with them. And then after that was all said and done, okay, now what? Answer, I guess just kind of like more of this. This is why the Bible repeatedly says, Do not become weary in doing good. Continue to do good. Continue to to love God. Continue to love one another. That that somehow we would recognize that there is something sovereign and powerful and ordained in the everyday moments. Like Paul preached last week, just life together. Imagine Andrea and I get married. And on the way out, okay, now what? Well, it's called married life. Okay, are we we just going to do this every day? That would just be so tiring, wouldn't it? And so much of life is actually spent, if you think about it, like in between events. You spend more time, not in this room than in this room. There is this doing what God has called us to do. There is this proclaiming what God has called us to proclaim. And and then there is just so much of life. And so Paul and Jesus and Peter and James love to say to the church, don't become weary of doing good. If I could say something that our culture gets really infatuated with, it's also this. Like, don't become addicted to just the high moments. Like, don't just, don't, don't, don't succumb to the temptation 
that only when you're in Osaka, Japan, is God real, right? There was something about Typhoon 24 coming in, right? Right, Brady? So I'm getting ready to preach a week ago, and Typhoon 24 is on the way. They number theirs. And so um, the, the railway is closed, and I'm, I'm, I'm in here at this church, and they said, hey, by the way, I know you weren't prepared for this, but Jay said, would you mind preaching? And I'm like, sure, I think I got a message from 1 Thessalonians 5 about being ready and how to look for the signs. And, and so I had this, and, and it just felt so, I don't know, just real and alive. And I love it when God says, be, be really, really careful of just believing that it's those Acts 2, Holy Spirit comes on you with power, preach, 3,000 baptized. Don't, don't just get addicted to that. Instead, like fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with him and grow in your understanding of who he is so that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what relationship you find yourself in, or even what relationship you're pursuing so that you can be like God's agent in that moment. Like no matter what, like you're ready to hear and then to respond to what the Spirit is doing. And and that's actually the life of a disciple. The life of a disciple is not just planning sermons on Sunday. I, I hope you know that's not all I do. Um, I'm also just, just a, as my wife, she'll tell you, I'm just a regular husband and I'm a dad and I'm a neighbor. And in all of those moments, I I need to be ready. I, I need to be actively like perceiving and responding to God's plan and his purpose. And so what are the disciples doing? It doesn't appear. We don't have anything. Well, they had a a bunch of of strategic planning meetings. I I mean, I'm sure they did have some conversations about, okay, what do we do? We we didn't have a church of 3,000, but we do now. Like, I'm I'm sure there was a lot of like organizing when we get to Act 6. You're going to see this. There was a lot of organizing, but primarily they're just wherever they are, they're all there. Recognizing and responding to the situations that are placed in front of them as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So look at what happens in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. They come upon this man that is lame, cannot walk. And they see him, and there is this connection. Notice that the text describes, and they, they, they literally, they looked intently at one another, and this man believes, hey, they know my need. And, and, and they're looking at me, so they're going to help me out. Like they're going to give me something that I need. And, and what do I need more than money? Well, the answer is, uh, I can think of something more that you need than money. Um, I think you, it would be really, really good if you could walk. And so Peter and John stumble into this situation, but not to the Spirit. They come upon this particular need, but it's no surprise to God. And then they just begin to act like followers of Jesus. So verse 6 says it this way. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. I don't want to just 
get derailed by this particular statement, but I, but I find it very interesting that A, they're pretty honest that the disciples, and if you go back and you read the disciples in the gospel, they really don't have much. They've given up everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their fishing business. They gave up their, um, their uh, uh, tax business that, that, that Matthew had. And they literally left everything else behind so that they could follow Jesus. So here's what I don't have. I don't have silver and I don't have gold. I know that's what you think you need, but I don't have silver and I don't have gold. But what I do have, I want to give to you. Well, what they're about to do, and you know this, they're, they're going to heal them. I just had to stop and to respond at that statement. Here's what I don't have. And then here's what I do have. As Christians, we love to focus on all the things we don't have, all the things that we can't do. And we fail to recognize all of the things that we, we can do. I, I love this statement. I don't know how much. I don't want to read too much into this. But they seem to recognize. But what I do have, like what Jesus Christ has given me, like the authority and the power that I do have. See, they're not just keenly aware of what they don't have. They're keenly aware of what they do have. And that is intimately tied and connected to the mission of Jesus Christ. And to his purpose in the world. What Peter and John, and I'm assuming the other disciples understand, is that God is in the, um, I hate to use the phrase, God is in the business. Um, God is in the, in the process. Like God is actively pursuing, just like Jesus actively pursued, lost and broken and hurting people. That's what God does. Jesus tells stories about going and trying to find the lost coin, and we knew he meant, he knew he meant you. God is wanting to, to bring back the lost sheep, and you know who that is. That he welcomes back the prodigal who leaves, and actually the, um, the really annoying brother who decided to stay. God's there for all of them. That's the business of God. To look at, and this text is forcing me to deal with this. I, as, as a preacher, I feel so much more comfortable talking about the spiritual realm. Because, you know, that's, I have degrees in spirit and spiritual things. And so that's what I'm an expert in, is in spiritual things. Because that's easy to deal with, you know. Like the wind, it's easy. It's not but this text is actually about physical too. This text isn't about a guy that had like a spiritual need and so God addressed it. This is a man that has a physical spiritual need. And what this text literally describes is that God has a detailed, intentional, intimate interest in the physical and spiritual needs all around us. Do you believe that? That Jesus Christ has come and that the Holy Spirit has come to deal with and to address. I mean, I, I just can't avoid it. I have to say it. The physical and the spiritual needs of everyone around us, including me. That's what this text says. And so the disciples, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, look at this man. And they don't just look at what he doesn't have. They look at what they have. And Jesus Christ said to them, 
All authority in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And therefore I say to you, go. Literally, like as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I command you. And I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. That's what he said. And so they come into this situation and they find themselves, this is very interesting, they find themselves doing the saving work of Jesus. Doing the saving work of Jesus. How do we do the saving work of Jesus? Well, first of all, we need to have a better understanding of that word saving. We are obsessed. I don't even know about rightly or wrongly, but we are obsessed when we say the word save. All we think about, for the most part, is heaven and hell, right? What's the saving work of Jesus? Dying on the cross, saving us from our sins so we don't go to hell. True. And more. In, in Jesus' ministry, a woman who could not be, it's the same Greek word, who could not be healed, saved, cries out to Jesus and, and, and trusts that Jesus can heal, save her. And Jesus says, your faith, and our English translations say, your faith has healed you. But it's the same word that in other places is translated saved. See, the concept of saved in the Bible is more than just not going to hell or going to heaven. It is about being restored. It can mean rescue. And what I love to be reminded of is what God's plan. And if you go all the way back into those dark moments in the garden, that God's ultimate plan is to not just drag us kicking and screaming or even leaping and praising God into heaven, into his presence. But is he is actively involved, and on this side of the cross, he is actively involved by the indwelling and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to restore every broken aspect of our lives. And so I love thinking about, like this woman knew that Jesus could, and we'll use the English word, heal her, and he did. And, and then in my mind, I can just imagine her saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, for healing me. And then Jesus can lean down and say to her, you have no idea how much I can heal you from. Like I know you have physical needs. Do you have, do you have physical needs? I do. I've got, I've got people in my life right now with incredible physical needs. I've got a sister, just like this man, who hasn't walked since August 16th, 1970. Like, I think that's 410 years ago. 1970. And Jesus, in his kindness and his goodness, is going to restore her. Wow. And, and then if he would, in his kindness and mercy, help her walk again. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for helping me walk again. I, I just, I can't imagine what more you could do for me. And Jesus would say, I can. How, how many of you can walk? Raise your hand if you can walk. Raise your hand, honestly. You got any other needs? Right? Season. Wow. Like our, our needs just keep on going. 
And by the way, so does God. And so the disciples say, what I do have, I'm going to now give to you. Look at what they say. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They're involved in doing, actively doing. Be ready in the book of Acts to see them. Paul described it last week. What they were doing in community was doing the healing, restorative work in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I think we've forgotten that. I think many of us are convinced that what we are to do is to observe the saving work of Jesus Christ. Or or to merely, and I'm about to talk about this, to merely talk about the saving work of Jesus Christ. But actually what the Bible describes at his mercy and at his discretion, not mine, to me and to you, an invitation to actively be involved in this. Now, now here's the good news. They do this not in their own name. They they don't do this for their own sake. They don't do this by their own power. What What did Peter and John say? Hey, 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 if you guys think that somehow that we've done this in our own power or in our own piety, our own holiness, if that's what you think, then you're sorely mistaken. We are here as ambassadors of the saving Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here on behalf of him. So what we do have for you, we give to you freely. Rise up and walk. And it is so important that we as a church, that you as an individual, but that we as a church, get serious, get more intentional, that find greater joy, that actively pursue, that pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to convict Jesus. Give us an ability to see. Give us an ability to feel. Give us an ability to think about the needs in our community, the needs in this fellowship, the needs wherever you send us, so that we might be involved in the doing of the saving work, the healing work, the rescuing work, the restoring work of Jesus of Nazareth. End of sermon? Well, it's not the end of Acts 3. I guess I could have ended it there. Our our culture is at a time where we almost want to end it there. Like, what is more important than doing? Absolutely nothing. I would much rather see a sermon than hear one. Yeah, I know you would. Like, I know you'd rather see a sermon than hear one. Because when you hear a sermon, instead of just see, when you, when you see a sermon, right? When you see somebody do something good like that, you get to sit back and go, wow, I feel really good about that. Like when you see an act of kindness, how many of you, it just makes you feel good? Oh yeah, we should do more of that. We should do more acts of kindness. By the way, we should. But, but Peter doesn't end there. If, if you look, like it's not even the point. Like the point of the text is not to get this man to walk. How do we get him to walk? How do we get him to walk? How do we, if we could just get him to walk? No. There is something else that happens. What the disciples understand, um, and it's interesting, disciples means follower. Apostles means one sent out. These disciples are now apostles. These followers of Jesus are also sent out. And they're not just sent out to do the saving work of Jesus. They are sent out to preach the saving work of Jesus. Because not only are people broken physically and spiritually, 
But people need to know the truth about what's ultimately behind all of that. Jesus does something very interesting in a kind of a similar story. I want you to turn there just so you can see it. Turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus comes across a man, and guess what? He can't walk. He is at the pool of Bethesda. We were there this summer, actually, like right in the area where this pool is, right beside this really amazing church where you could sing, and it's just crazy beautiful sounds come out of that place, literally, like better than the ones that come out of our mouths. It kind of echoes in this room, and it's this St. Anne's, and it's right beside the pool, right real close, where, where most likely Jesus heals this man. Jesus comes up to this man, hey, do you, do you want to be healed? Like, do you want to be rescued? Do you want to be restored from this? He says, I'd love to. Like, I'd, I'd literally, I would love to. I'd love to, to be able to walk. But the problem is, this is what he thought. The problem is, is that the only way that I could really do that is that somehow um, I need to, they, they believed, I think it's a superstition, they believed that an angel would come down and stir those waters, and if you could just get in while the angel was stirring the waters, then somehow by the angel powers, that they, they, they could be healed. Like so, so many religious people really are just superstitious. Good thing we're not. I don't have anybody to help me in the water. And Jesus says, like, I can heal you. And he does. And this man gets up, picks up his mat, and walks away. Wow. Like, what, what, what's more, what's, what's better than that? Now, here's what's interesting. I, I guess lots of things might even be better than that, but there are also things that are worse than not being able to walk. Look at John 5, 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. You just have to wonder if that's John's way of saying, and he is either giving thanks or worshiping God. They found him in the temple. By the way, lots of steps to go up and down to get to the temple. Um, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That nothing worse may happen to you. See, and that's, that's the part that you and I really have to begin to wrestle with, don't we? You and I look at people in their circumstances, their, and I'm just going to hear me when I say this, in their temporary circumstances, meaning in this life circumstances, not trying to make light of them, but the Bible actually teaches that this life is not all that there is. That what you and I experience in the now is not all that there is. And Jesus says to this man, I have given you what you thought you needed at its, at, its, at its basic core, at its fundamental, like you think that this is all that there is, and I've now given it to you, and now I want you to be on alert, to be on guard, to be careful that something worse does not happen to you. Go and sin no more. See, the disciples know that. Right now, I get this. You, you might want to say, like, I'm in that season in my life. So some of you may know, uh, my wife and I are praying for her mom, um, praying lots of things for her mom who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. She is a believer in Jesus Christ. There, what we're praying for, by the way, is her healing. But her healing, you know, her healing, you know, her, her healing, 
Like not just her body, but ultimately God's plan of restoration for her. Like that's what we're praying for. That there is something worse than all of the terrible difficulties and struggles that we have. And you need like an eye of faith. You need like a a savior like Jesus, a Lord like the Messiah to be able to give you some of that. Because you and I look at the problems and the difficulties and the circumstances of this life and we just have no ability, at least I don't. I have no ability to see beyond it. All I can see is my sister's wheelchair. Like all I can see is the amount of debt that I have. Like all I can see is like the broken relationship that has no hope of being restored. That's all I can see. I have no idea what's on the other side of that. And Jesus does. Jesus fully understands all of that which is and then that which is more. Like, do you know that? When I say this season, like literally, like I was two when my sister went into the wheelchair. Like I was nine when my sister got diagnosed with leukemia. Like I've lived this. And I begged and I've prayed, God, heal, heal miraculously. I, I, I remember praying when I was a kid that my sister would get up and walk. I remember praying in a class. I was doing an interpretation class at the college. I genuinely prayed that God, at this moment, right now, I can still remember standing in the room, at this moment, God, Diana, up, out of the wheelchair. I did it again this morning. I think my mom would have called me. Yeah, nothing. I I literally, this morning, did the same thing. I just prayed, God, Diana, up, out of the wheelchair. And as far as I know, nothing. Nothing. Like, what could be better than that? You know, here it is I find very interesting. Let, let's say it happens. Let's say, like, right now my mom calls and goes, hey, like, you, you won't believe this. I'll go, yeah, I think I know exactly what you're about to say. She's walking, isn't she? How did you know? I prayed for it, right? If that happened, how many of you would retell the story? Yeah. How many of you, like Facebook would blow up, wouldn't it? Let me tell you what our, let me tell you. Let me tell you what God did through our preacher. Let me tell you, blah, 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 blah. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. You'd, you'd even say something like that. The most amazing thing happened today. What, what's the most amazing thing I'm about to say? Are you ready? Here it is. The most amazing thing. Are you ready for this? Go tweet this. God died for you. That God sent his son because he knew that you were at war with him and he loved you and he desired a relationship with you. And so he sent his only son who died so that you might have peace with him. And he was raised again. And he sent his spirit The divine spirit of the universe now dwells inside of us. And now we are actively involved in both doing and preaching the saving work of Jesus Christ. How many of you are going, I'll tell you, be honest with you, your sister thing would be more cool. If we're honest, me too, there's something broken in that. 
There is something broken in me in that. Now, hear me. I'm not trying to pit one against the other. The text doesn't allow that. It's not that our physical needs don't matter. It's just that our physical needs, our, our financial needs, our relational needs, all of those needs are, are important and we need to be actively involved as God's agents of change under his power and direction. And then realize that there is something more beyond it. In Acts chapter 3 verse 11 this young man, this, 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 this man that was once lame, I, don't, I guess I don't know his age. This man that was lame is now clinging to him. Verse 11, while he, the, the lame man that's not lame anymore, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And Peter said, now here's the reason why we're gathering today. Now you might think that, that this is really what it's all about, but no, no, no. All of this is a story. All of this is an illustration of God's compassion and love. But that's a small picture. The real picture is what Jesus Christ has done. The real picture is that God has promised from the beginning. The real picture is that is where you and I begin to engage in the story. See, as long as it's just a, a lame man walking or a blind man seeing or a marriage getting restored and it's not yours, then all you are is a casual observer. But this text says, no, you are actively a participant in God's plan of salvation and hope. And that's why the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, has come as the prophets foretold, and he died. He died a sacrifice that you could not give to God so that you could find peace with God. And that by faith in what he did, you can now have life. Which is better than all of the things that you and I think are better than it. So then what, what creates the switch? What, what, what causes me to begin to realize that more than my financial, relational, or physical needs, that there's something that is deeper and more profound than all of those things. And what it is, it's, it's the amazing invitation that Peter is going to give and that I'm about to give to be a part of that. To let you know how much I care about this, how much we care about this as a staff and as an eldership, recently in an elders meeting, we were discussing this, and we got into this conversation and we're asking, how can we help, how can we facilitate the, the, the response of people who are hearing and the gospel being preached, who are sensing the moving of the Holy Spirit, how can we make sure that, that, that those opportunities are being maximized or utilized for the glory of God? Like, how can we do that? Literally, the conversation was, when we go from sermon now into communion as a response, what if there's someone out there that really feels the spirit that is moving in them and that is moving them along? How can we make sure? Can you hear the heart? Can you get the desire that this is more than just like a message or a lesson? No, this is an invitation. And we are. We're going to respond around the Lord's table but the invitation will extend to you. The invitation of what God wants for you is, is more than just like a couple of Jim's thoughts at the end of his message. It's God's invitation to you. 
saying, I know that you're broken and I know that you're lost and I know that you're confused and I know you've heard this a hundred times and you've never responded, but today's the day. Like, I know that you don't want to deal with this, but I'm going to continually remind you of your need to deal with who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for you. See, the disciples begin to invite, constantly inviting others to join the saving work of Jesus Christ, to be part of the community of faith so that they can then begin doing and preaching and doing and preaching and inviting others to be a part of what he is doing. See, it is this, it is this message that is preached. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's the invitation. So here's the question. Have you called on, have you cried out to Jesus to deal with your sin problem with the creator of the universe? Like, have you been able to recognize there is truly something beyond this world that is broken in me and I need a savior? I need saving. And have you called out to him? And Peter promises through an invitation, everyone who calls will be saved. God's invitation is to all. In Acts chapter 11, I know I'm not there yet, but I thought this was a really interesting case. This is um, the story of a, of, a, of a saving of a Gentile named Cornelius, literally a Roman centurion. And he is told to send to Joppa and to bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. See, that's why after, like, um, after, that's why after all the things that we do, it's time to preach. And in the, after we're done preaching, it's now time to invite. It is through this message. It, it is not, by the way, through our acts of kindness. It is not through our acts of service. It is through the proclamation of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has come to do and the faith that you can place in him that true ultimate salvation comes. And as a church, we are committed, committed to not only do and to not only preach, but then to invite others to receive a message by which you will be saved. I love this. You and all your household, and they were. So here's how Peter put it. And I want to try to read this to you this morning. Like, let's pretend for a moment that you've been astounded by God's kindness to this man. That you're the one that just can't believe. And I don't understand all of the reasons why God does here and doesn't do here. But in, chapter, in verse 17 of Acts chapter 3, Peter says this, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, which, by the way, just points out that if you want to try to claim ignorance with God, hey, I didn't know. God goes, I know you didn't know, but I told you, and you still didn't know. Like, a lot of people don't know, but they've been told a ton of times. They don't want to know. It's interesting that the Bible nowhere, like, describes, like, ignorance or best of intentions as somehow as a qualifying, qualifying act on your behalf to give God's favor. No, faith is, not ignorance. Like God knows that you do not know, but look at verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, 
that his Christ, that's kind of a strange phrase, when we think of Christ as like, and we use the word Lord, then we don't understand what that means. What do you mean God's Christ? Well, literally the word means the anointed one, the one that God prepared for a mission. So God's anointed one, he says, would suffer. He thus fulfilled, verse 19, here it is, repent, change your mind, therefore. Turn back that your sins might be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed, the anointed one appointed to you, and his name is Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. That, that phrase, restoring all things, I like to refer to that as 2018, probably 2019, Lord willing, 2020. I have no idea how long. What is God doing? God is, in the meantime, restoring all things. That is why, as a church, we must be actively doing preaching and inviting others to receive the good, making right plan of God. It's interesting that if you think about it, Jesus spent three and a half years going around healing people. And here we are in, Acts, in, in Jerusalem a lot of that time. And here we are in Acts chapter three, and what do you find? A lame guy. And Jesus didn't heal them all. But he came to, to save them all. I don't understand how all of this works. I just know that it does. And so this morning, what you and I have an opportunity to do is to either sit back and watch what God is doing or we can actively engage. Actively engage with our heart and our mind in the saving work of Jesus Christ. This time I want to ask our servers to head back and to just come and, and, and begin to, to give to us Two things that we will hold in our hand that will remind us. This is why it's good to have something like in your hand. Something that is tangible to remind us that the needs that we have, the problems that we have, the concerns that we have are very real and very powerful and very true. And that God has actually done something for them. That God is actually aware of the needs that you and I have, aware of the struggles that you and I have, aware of the concerns that you and I have, both physically and spiritually. And say, listen, like I am here to make things right. Now, this is my problem. Every time I begin to think about that, I genuinely think, well, how can I make it work? And just like communion, come on in guys and start serving it. Just like with communion, it's not something we can make do, it's something that we receive. What Jesus Christ has done for you is something that you receive. By faith, you recognize that Jesus Christ has done what you cannot do. And so I don't know if we as a church We'll be able to do everything that the early apostles did. But we can do this. And, and this is really what holds us ultimately together. Jesus didn't say, and until the final day when I come back, go out and 
Literally, there were so many things that he didn't say that we were going to do, but he did say we would do this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and you can recognize and see what he has done for you, and you have put your faith in him, then I want to encourage you to take the bread and to take the cup and to hold it. And in a moment here, you and I will share in this moment together.